0: you are listening to the aesthetics and arts podcast a series of interviews conversations philosophical explorations on beauty art and life Vitor Guerrero, welcome to the Aesthetics and Arts podcast. With us today is Andrew Kania, philosopher of music and professor of philosophy at Trinity University, San Antonio, Texas. He is the author of the book Philosophy of Western Music, a video per of which he was kind enough to give us, and you may find it in this website under Media and Book Presentations. I want to welcome our guest to the very first episode in this podcast series of Aesthetics and Arts, and thank him for kindly accepting the invitation. Hello, Andrew. Glad to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Vitor. I'm honored by the invitation and really pleased to be here.
0: To start with, could you tell us a little about your background, how you came to be interested in philosophy and, in that context, with aesthetics and the philosophy of music? What kind of role did and does music play in your life?
1: I suppose I was a musician before I was a philosopher. (laughs) Um, I grew up playing violin, was my main instrument growing up, but I also uh, played a little piano. Uh, my parents were both um, into classical music, um, maybe kind of strangely exclusively into classical music, so I didn't really know about popular music, or somehow I didn't think anyone really listened to it until I was sort of coming into adolescence, so that, that was a little strange. <laughs> um, and then, I guess like a lot of adolescence, I started to think about what I now realize of philosophical questions. Um, and probably my first sort of serious introduction to philosophy, in a way, was when my violin teacher lent me a copy of Douglas Hofstadter's Gödel-Escher Bach, um, which I think is a surprising number of, of professional philosophers' um, first experiences. Um, but more formally I suppose somehow by the time I got to university I knew I wanted to take philosophy courses Um, so I did that in my first year. Um, I was also taking English courses and and courses for uh, a law degree at first but by the end of my first year I realized that I um, didn't want to pursue law if it was going to mean i couldn't take all the philosophy and english courses i wanted to so i ditched law and became a, a philosophy and english double major um, meanwhile my musical life was not kind of um, officially academic i i really didn't take any music courses at university but i got into choral singing um, at that point there was a uh, actually she's still there karen grills and A world-class choral conductor, uh, just happened to be at the University of Auckland, where I was, um, and so I got uh, pretty heavily into choral singing at that point, and then later on into choral conducting. Um, My second year at university, I took a philosophy of the arts course, um, because that seemed interesting to me, obviously, uh, and little did I know, I mean, I knew not at all at that point, that The professor of that course, Stephen Davies, was and still is one of the world's leading philosophers of music. Um, So, of course, I was really um, excited and fascinated by especially discussions of music, but also discussions of of literature in particular in that course. It really felt like two sides of my person were sort of coming together. Um philosophy just gave me this way of thinking about music, which was such an important part of my life that I found deeply satisfying. Um, it made me think here was a way to actually um, answer some of the puzzling questions I had had about music, uh, and I hadn't encountered that kind of approach anywhere else before. Um, and so it was really that course that put me on the track to becoming a professional uh, philosopher of, of music or philosopher of the arts. Um, and from there, I mean, it's sort of the rest, rest is history. I, I went to University of Maryland for my PhD with, with another great philosopher of music, um, Jerry Levinson. And then I was really lucky to get a job uh, at Trinity University straight out of grad school. And I've been here ever since. Weirdly enough I think in a way music plays has played less of a role in my life um, since I started working on my PhD just because I didn't have as much time to devote to my musical pursuits (laughs) but I, I am a strong believer that you can't do good philosophy of music unless you're deeply involved in music whether that's as a listener or a performer or a composer, or in some other way. Um, but I think in a, in a lot of ways, I've really drawn on my earlier life experiences with music. I mean, obviously I'm still into music. I go to concerts, I play music, and, and so on. Um, but in a strange way, I feel like I'm still drawing on my my early life experiences, sort of before I was 25, when I think about um, music.
0: Not that long ago, at least as I remember from my formative years, aesthetics was in a way the awkward relative in the philosophical family – eccentric, marginal, not really that serious, etc. In your view, is there such an impression still nowadays, or did things substantially change in this respect? How do you see the role of aesthetics in philosophy and life in general today?
1: Yeah, I don't think things have changed much in uh in philosophy in that respect over my lifetime. Um it still certainly seems to me that aesthetics is is a marginal discipline within analytic philosophy. Um I would I would say, although I, I'm, I don't work in the continental tradition. I know much less about it. It seems to me that aesthetics is taken more seriously uh, in that tradition. And again, I don't think that's something that's changed over the last fifty years. Um, for instance, I mean, I think of you know Žižek. He's constantly talking about film and 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 art, uh, and he seems to be a big figure in the continental tradition. Um, there's no one there's no one like that, I think, in in the analytic tradition. I'm not sure I have anything <laughs> particularly um, insightful to say about why that would be. I mean, apart from the usual um, historical explanation that when analytic philosophy was kind of getting going, its central questions were to do with the nature of language and mind. Um, and they weren't connected with more social um, things. So for instance, I would say, say the same thing about um, you know, race and gender. I think there's starting to be some very good work in the analytic tradition on those questions, but I think it draws heavily on the continental tradition, um, which has been grappling with those sorts of questions for for much longer.
0: Do you think the infamous divide between analytical and continental philosophy is becoming less relevant today? Speaking specifically about aesthetics, are there more philosophers of both sides of that divide interested in what is taking place on the other side?
1: My again, I don't feel like I'm, I'm an expert to, in a position of expertise to address this question. Uh, my feeling is that. The divide is becoming less relevant though I think it's that process is happening pretty slowly um, but I think particularly obviously I'm pretty securely on the analytic side. I think m- more analytic philosophers are taking more continental philosophy seriously um, and I guess there are some people really sort of working in in what you might call a kind of cross disciplinary way, and a kind of space in between. I won't, I won't name names in case people think that's not what they're doing. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I don't have a good feeling because I'm not so up on the continental stuff. I don't really have a sense of the extent to which the reverse is happening. The extent to which continental people, I would consider continental theorists, are influenced by the analytic tradition.
0: Would you say that thinking philosophically about music had an impact on how you engage with it? Can you think of specific ways in which this happens? Conversely, do you think your practical engagement with music made a real difference for your philosophical engagement with it?
1: I think the easier part of this question is the is the last part. I, I, I just don't see how you could be interested in philosophy of music without being interested... In music um, first and in fact being so interested in music that you get to those kind of um, deeper well deeper more fundamental in some sense more abstract philosophical questions um, I don't think that's any different from any other kind of philosophy of X um, it's hard to imagine someone doing good philosophy of quantum mechanics um, or even being interested in it, <laughs> without being interested in quantum mechanics, um, and of course it's hard to imagine someone doing good philosophy of quantum mechanics without knowing a lot about quantum mechanics. Um, and so I think I think that's equally true of philosophy of music. Um, the other way round is 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 something I often think about, and I'm not sure about. In some ways, I would say my philosophical work, including, you know, reading other people's work, <laughs> uh, hasn't affected my experience of music. And to some extent, that seems right to me. I mean, I guess that that comes out of this sort of descriptivist idea that we're doing the philosophy of this particular practice. And thus, it, it'll be pretty rare for the philosophy to kind of turn around on that practice, as it were, and say, you need to change in this way including the, the practice of listeners um, but that's probably a, an oversimplification I mean obviously when you're thinking about things like I don't know, the debate between architectonicists and concatenationists it it affects how you're you listening to pieces of music um, though to some extent I think that can be distracting you know sometimes I find myself at the at the symphony and I realize I've been thinking about, Philosophical issues about music for the past five minutes instead of paying attention to the music. <laughs> so, to some extent, I think that's kind of counterintuitive, but obviously it also has, oh, sorry, counterproductive. But I think it's also true that, um, I mean, just thinking philosophically about music has these kind of larger scale or harder to pin down psychological effects on how you approach music. Um, I mean, one way in which I think philosophy of music has very clearly change the way i engage with music um is one i've I've talked about in print actually in my um, discussion with lee brown about the methodology of musical ontology and that was actually uh, well is this right yeah i think it was in that first philosophy of music class i took um stephen davies introduced us to um, an early version i guess of ted grasek's um idea about the ontology of rock music that the work of art in rock is the recording rather than the uh, song the composition um, or some live performance of that song Uh, that was in 94 so it was before ted's book came out but i guess he must have been you know working on it and presenting his ideas at at the asa which stephen was of course highly involved in Um, and then during my masters at the university of auckland uh, we worked through Ted's book, first book, Rhythm and Noise. Um, but I th- I'm pretty sure it was that first course in 1994 that really, I think the way I described it in, in print was, uh, had a sort of Copernican revolution effect on the way I listened to popular music. Uh, I mean, I guess it was this, I was sort of stuck in this um, Scrutonian <laughs> paradox. I really liked a lot of popular music and yet when I thought about what I thought made music good, it was sort of puzzling to me that I could be that into this music because it didn't seem that interesting in terms of its harmonies and so on. Um, and so that idea that that maybe what was engaging me was the entire, the entire sonic um, soundscape of the recording and that's what was the the appropriate object of critical attention ha- helped me through that. So It of, sort of made me think, oh yeah, I, I, I have been doing this, but when I think about it theoretically, um, I don't realize that that's what I'm doing. Um, and so that's heavily influenced the, the way I approach popular music, I think. Um, and obviously it's been heavily influential on my own work on those sorts of questions.
0: Some philosophical problems about music are also raised by other phenomena, specifically in the domain of the arts. Do you think there are philosophical problems that only music raises?
1: This is a tricky question, I think. Um, There are, of course, sort of uh, type philosophical problems and token philosophical problems, right? So you might think, um, how does music uh, express emotions is a philosophical problem that only music raises. But, of course, you can raise the question of how other art forms or other media uh, express emotions. <clears throat> so, in that sense, it's not really exclusive to music. Um, even the question of what music is, is obviously a kind of token question, of which the type is, you know, what what is X for, for some perhaps art form or medium. <laughs> uh, now I think that maybe um, if you answer that if you can answer that particular question, what is music a certain way, there might be some um, questions specific to to music. Uh, for instance, if music is a medium, if you think of it not not essentially as an art, but as a medium, uh, the same way you might think of language as a medium um, that is used in the art of literature, then there might be philosophical questions about that medium, just as there are philosophical questions about language, or perhaps philosophical questions about depiction. But, you know, it's not even obvious that those, I mean, maybe this wasn't your question, it's not obvious that those are questions in philosophy of the arts or uh, aesthetics, even broadly construed. Obviously, questions about the nature of language are part of philosophy of language which not many people would think is part of aesthetics or philosophy of the arts. Questions about depiction are kind of, as it were, institutionally or professionally tackled by uh, philosophers of the arts. But it's not clear that it would have to be that way, right? Because there's lots of non-artistic pictures. Um, And so similarly, it's not clear to me that that the philosophy of music as a medium, in that sense, is, is kind of necessarily part of the philosophy of the arts, um, in, in some, like, ultimate perfected taxonomy of, of philosophical fields. Um, but anyway, I think that's, in a sense, the most interesting um, avenue to pursue with respect to this question.
0: Your recent book is titled Philosophy of Western Music, a Contemporary Introduction. This contrasts with practically every book on a topic that I know of, which never bear the qualification Western. This seems to imply that, in your view, philosophers delve into problems that are quite specific of Western musical traditions, even if, like yourself, they don't focus narrowly on so-called classical music. Do you think there are philosophical problems raised by non-Western musical traditions of which philosophers should be more aware?
1: Well, I think in one sense that's a, a a sort of superficial difference because, you know, lots of people have in fact been writing about just Western music uh, and the Western philosophical tradition. I think recently people have started to make that explicit. Um, you could say the same thing about the focus on classical music, I think, in, in philosophy of music. Um, they've started to make that explicit in kind of, you know, footnotes or kind of introductory paragraphs. Um, I did have to fight a little bit to get the Western into the title of the book. Um, that is, fight fight with the publishers. Um, well, fight's probably even too strong a word. Um, but there was some resistance to that. Uh, and the way I justified I mean, of course, I, this is partly a kind of an ethical issue about the kind of... Um, Eurocentrism of philosophy uh but the way I explained it to the publisher um you know I think maybe they said first you know we don't the philosophy of film book in this series isn't going to be called the philosophy of western film um but it seems to me that in part that's justifiable because you can talk about um Korean films and French films and and films from around the world in your philosophy of film book because there's nothing kind of, um, I mean, there are all sorts of interesting cultural differences, of course, between those different film traditions. But the basic language of film, if you like, (laughs) uh, is much more common across those um, cultures. Now, that itself may be a function of when film technology... Um, arose, and the way in which film as a, as a popular art form developed. But with music, although <clears throat> well, I think you know, some questions about music one can answer without knowing much about uh, other musical traditions, that, that is not being deeply involved in those traditions though, though knowing something about them. Um, when I address musical understanding for instance in, in chapter 4 of my book, I talk about um, tonality and functional harmony now some of that stuff uh, the very, uh, well I think at least, even this is controversial, but I think at least some very general, abstract basic features of um, what we might call tonality or meter um, are common to all natural um, musical traditions as opposed to for instance avant-garde musical traditions Um There are serious differences. I mean, a lot of what I say in that chapter about kind of just introductory stuff about rhythm and harmony simply doesn't apply outside um, the Western tradition. So in that sense, it seems important to acknowledge that, look, this is just one musical tradition we're talking about. and, And part of the reason I'm focusing on that tradition, well, partly, of course, is my own ignorance of the other traditions, and partly it's because one of my jobs in the book, I think, is in- introducing readers to the extant literature, and that literature is about understanding works of Western music, particularly works of Western classical music. So, it, it's, a, it's a bind in a sense, right? Um, the focus has been um, perhaps unjustifiably narrow in the field, and yet there's no way of at least I can't see an easy way of introducing people to the field without introducing them to that narrowness and then hoping that future scholars will will broaden the focus.
0: Since you think that an instance of music is not thereby necessarily an instance of art, does this affect our image of the philosophy of music as a part of the philosophy of art? Should we rather think of it as part of aesthetics, assuming that aesthetics and the philosophy of art are not quite the same thing, or should we think of it in yet another way?
1: I suppose I really uh, answered this question, or began to answer it um, earlier. Um, I mean, I do think there's i mean, <laughs> there's obviously um, an artistic tradition in the West called music, even if we're not totally sure where the boundaries of that tradition lie, and I think we can identify... Um, artistic musical traditions and other cultures and so if you can do philosophy of the arts you can do philosophy of music in that sense I think what's important is to recognize well I mean my view is that we should recognize there's a distinction between music as a medium and music as an art I think even if you disagree with that it's it's a debate worth entering into um So people, other people might might disagree with me and say that all philosophy of music is part of philosophy of the arts. Um, But I think at least it's important to grapple with that question of whether we can think of there being non-artistic music. You have
0: written considerably about the ontology of music. Could you briefly explain, readers, what is it that one tries to accomplish by doing that? Could you describe the kind of theory you favor in this respect and why? Do you still find yourself as interested in this issue as before, or do you feel your interests have somehow shifted towards other issues?
1: I mean, I usually characterize the ontology of music as the study of the kinds of musical things there are and the relations between them. Um, And I think ultimately the Interest of ontology beyond just the interest of trying to figure out the kinds of things there are in this, in this practice or d- domain of human interest that's so important to so many people, um, which I think shouldn't be discounted. Um, I think there's a sort of connection to uh, value and evaluation uh, and understanding. So my work in this field has mostly been on what i've called higher order musical ontology as opposed to fundamental musical ontology fundamental musical ontology um is the stuff that um, a lot of people accuse of again sort of not really being aesthetics or not really being philosophy of music because it sort of sounds to some extent like just a re- recapitulation of the um problem of universals or whatever you want to call it right what fundamental ontological category to do musical works belong to um I mean, I like metaphysics as much as the next analytic philosopher, <laughs> um, but I certainly can see the the point of the people who argue that, well, this doesn't really have that much to do with music. Um, on the other hand, I think the higher order stuff, which is to some extent independent of the fundamental um, debate, is... Of crucial interest to philosophers of music and, and aestheticians. so this is where we have debates about um, for instance authentic performance of, of classical works of music uh, but also debates about whether the work of art in rock music is the composition such as the song or the recording um, like a canonical recording of that song uh, those questions seem to me pretty independent of what fundamental ontological categories songs for instance belong to um, but they are crucial to questions of the evaluation uh, the understanding and, and thus evaluation of those works Julian Dodd I think thinks that um, these questions are so are so tightly bound to, to understanding and value that that I and others have made a huge mistake by thinking that they're ontological at all. He thinks that um, fundamental ontology is all the ontology there is, and all these questions about what we should be paying attention to and how we should be understanding um, artistic activity in these traditions is really just questions about value, and it's not ontological at all. Um, And I suppose, ultimately, I'm not sure I... um, I'm not sure i have any problem with that with that approach i mean i'm not sure i haven't thought carefully enough about what the implications would be about what we do and how we do it as philosophers if it's just a matter of like you know everything you've said is true but stop calling it ontology you're really doing kind of um you know value theory of music that would be fine um to, to my ears but i'm not sure if the implication is actually that Um, By thinking it's ontology you're doing, you've somehow kind of perverted um, your project. Your book, that
0: I mentioned a while ago, contains a whole chapter on the topic of music and morality. I would say there is this orthodox view according to which aesthetics and morality are quite separate domains. Though once cherished, the idea of moral beauty is, apart from a few odd defenders, considered a category mistake. What is your view about it?
1: it's interesting that, that this view that the, the two realms of value are totally separate, what, what's often called autonomism these days, um, is, is what you think of as the orthodox view. Um, I guess I think of that as the old-fashioned view now, <laughs> but I'm not sure um, if I've just been swayed by basically the, the revival of interest in this debate over the last 20 years by the people known as ethicists or moralists, people like um, Noel Carroll and Beres Gort, among others, Um, it seems to me that that kind of view is the new orthodoxy, if you like. Um, The view that uh, a work can be aesthetically or artistically flawed by failing to merit the response it aims at because of its uh, moral flaws. I hope I've characterized that position (laughs) accurately. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I'm not sure. I I haven't done any work in this area myself, um, though I'm just starting to get into it. Um, I I don't think I have strong views on this, but I certainly think that ethicist view is plausible. Uh, One of the reasons I've, I included a chapter on music and morality is that that I do think there are interesting issues at that intersection, Um, not necessarily restricted to this question of of the way in which the the domains of value, the the moral and the aesthetic, if you like, or the moral and the artistic um, are related, but um, all sorts of other issues that philosophers are well-placed to um, work on, and yet haven't done so (laughs) Uh, and i think that's important partly just because we should be contributing to debates where we have um sort of expertise to contribute but also because those issues are extremely interesting to non-philosophers for instance undergraduate students um, coming into a philosophy of music course which is obviously one kind of target audience of the book um so, for instance, I, I address in the in the in this chapter um, Susan McCleary's work on how instrumental classical music can contribute to the oppression of women. That's, uh, I mean, is this true? That's somewhat orthogonal to the to the sort of ethicism debate, but I still think it's a very interesting question. It raises issues about the nature of music. It's it's the ways in which it can represent things, um, for instance, gender or gendered situations, um, you know, feeds into a lot of these um, debates that are ongoing in philosophy of music. Uh, and yet, very few philosophers of music have contributed to that debate, replied to McCleary, for instance, or addressed McCleary's views. So I also wanted to encourage um, sort of future work in in... By including those topics in the book, um, in that sense, my my another target audience of that chapter was uh, other philosophers of music, um, who I'm hoping will come in and say, geez, Kanye really messed up the, the chapter on musical morality. We, we need to sort this out and publish a few papers. I mean, that would be great if people did that, um, because I found myself with not much material to, to draw on, um, which was a little bit uh, shocking.
0: Thank you, Andrew, for all the insights you're sharing with us today. I hope you may join us again sometime soon.
1: Thanks, Vitor. It was my pleasure.
0: Goodbye, everyone. Tune in for our next episode of the Aesthetics and Arts podcast.